Welcome to the Tell Us Something Podcast. I'm Mark Moss. In this week's podcast, you'll hear stories about a young woman who drops acid with her boyfriend before embarking on a hitchhiking trip to San Francisco. We accompany a mailman on his daily route to Helena, Montana, go for a ride in a new Jeep that has some curious vanity plates, and avoid getting paint on our Sunday clothes as we complete a chore before church. Our podcast today was recorded in front of a live audience on May 9th, 2019 at the Myrna Loy in Helena, Montana. Eight storytellers shared their true personal story on the theme, Getting Away With It. Today, we hear from four of those storytellers. Our first story comes to us from Gay Iman, who drops acid with her boyfriend before embarking on a hitchhiking trip to San Francisco for a show at Winterland. Their trip takes an unexpected turn when the driver takes a detour to Oakland to meet up with some of his friends. Gay calls her story, Just One Look. I wanted to come and take you back into my history a little bit. The year that I want to share is 1969. I was 17 years old. And like Mark said, I was raised in the Bay Area, in San Francisco area. I was raised in a very um, loose household. I had a lot of freedom, no boundaries, and I grew to expand and go pretty much wherever I wanted to go. That got me in a lot of trouble, but it also gave me a good insight into life, and I appreciate that. The time I'm talking about is a Friday night. We're going into the San Francisco for a concert. I was going every weekend, and for $3.50, I saw just about every big-name group. I know, I know. (laughs) My kids say the same thing. (laughs) So at this particular time, I had a friend. We were going to go into the city, and we decided to hitchhike from Castro Valley into the uh, San Francisco that night to see a group. But there was another side to that um, decision, and we uh, had two tabs of acid, and we decided that we would take those. We would, we would take them. Because unfortunately, if you get pulled over by the police, you might have it. We didn't think of the other side that we would be stoned, and we didn't know where we were going or who we were going with. But that was those days, and that's what I did. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Probably wouldn't do it now. <laughs> so we get up to the freeway entrance, we take our acid, we, um, <laughs> we stick our thumb out, and it wasn't very long. Uh, this car pulls over, it was this 1950 Ford sedan, all soft and round, very inviting. And uh, so... One thing we noticed immediately was the driver was huge. He was tall. He had a crew cut, very clean cut, but his head almost reached the ceiling of this vehicle. So he rolls the window down, says, hey, where are you going? We say, we're going to San Francisco, to Winterland. We're going to see a group. Sure, come on in. I'll give you a ride. And he reaches over the seat and pulls the back door open for us to get in. So we scoot in and... It was like, wow, this is so easy. (laughs) 
we're going to do good. This is great. And we are, get in the car. We're talking. Not a lot, but we're talking a little bit. And 15 miles into the drive, he puts his blinker on and starts to pull off in downtown Oakland. And at that point, you know, the course has changed as far as my plan. I'm also beginning to feel the effects of that bad decision. Uh, And he pulls off the freeway, and in the midst of that, I feel like I'm going down a tunnel. I I sense this deep uh, change of plans, uh, no control, I'm not steering, I'm not even riding in the front seat. I, so I hear in my voice, ah, where are we going? You, you know, this squeaky kind of strained place of, what? And he just, oh, I got to pull over for a minute. No problem. I'll, you know, you'll, you'll get your ride. We're, we're going to head in. And I'm, I'm beginning to panic. I'm beginning to feel like, Oops, this was not a good decision. (laughs) But there I am. I am in the back of the car. So we pull off. He stops at the end of the off-ramp, turns, goes under the freeway, and proceeds to head down into probably what I would consider the worst area of downtown Oakland. Oakland is predominantly black and... I didn't have any problem with that. I grew up in a a city where I was the minority, Hispanic and three-quarters Hispanic and black. And so it wasn't the issue of the color of the city. It was the issue that we were off course, according to what I thought we were doing. So I'm just stirring inside, just trying to figure out, hmm, wonder if I can run. I wonder if I could get out. I wonder if I can fly, you know. I mean, you're thinking a lot of things at that point, but there, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> there's no way out, and especially for myself. I, there's no running me, from me, and there's no running from the decisions I'd made. So we... We're driving, take about five minutes, and pretty soon I am feeling this incredible darkness that is, is coming not only from the dusk coming, the night is coming, but it, we're just getting out of the streetlights. We're, we're heading out of the city, kind of. And... Uh, One thing that's so remarkable is that I had a friend with me, but that friend is completely invisible in my memory. I don't remember him in any aspect of this memory. And a lot of it is that part of me that takes care of myself, that does things myself. That's what I learned, that I was responsible for myself. And... I think that's part of it, and I think part of it is that it was such a, it was pretty traumatic at that that moment in time. So, pulls down into this empty warehouse area. The windows, the windows are all broken out, not a street light. There's a a beautiful black caddy parked there, Cadillac. Got tinted windows on all sides, and now I'm beginning to really 
believe that I'm going to die, that, that this is it. And obviously I didn't, right? <laughs> but that was what I was feeling, and that was what I was knowing within myself. In the, in the seconds that it took to part, him to park, our driver to park on the side, uh, he rolls his window down, they share a couple words. I notice that there's two black men driving the beautiful black caddy. That, that was, it was like time stood still. There were no words I could say. I couldn't hear what they were saying. And he turns around, our driver turns around and says, oh, um, my friends will take you in. Yeah, my friends will take you in. And they're going to the city and they'll take you in. And I said, how did they know that? You know, I mean, not then, because cell phones were not invented, as far as I know. But how did they know that? How did this all happen? I've thought about that since I've thought about telling this story. And I still don't know the answer to that. But that's okay, because... I opened the door, I went over to the other car, we got in, and at that moment, uh, the driver turns around and he just shines his eyes on me and says, where are you going? I said, Winterland, we're going to Winterland. He says, I'm going right by there, I'm glad to give you a ride. And his eyes are pure kindness, <laughs> dark pure kindness. That was a real plus. <laughs> I still didn't, didn't believe I was going to get out of there alive, but that was a plus. And so the windows go up, they pull out, they get back on the freeway. And as we're coming over the Bay Bridge to into the city, I love the city, and the lights and all the good memories I've had there. Uh, I used to take the bus over for a quarter and a bus to go home. I went there quite a few weekends and we pull into Winterland. And he says, he turns around, there's those chocolate kind eyes again and he says, y'all have a nice time. <laughs> I said, all right, thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Gay. Gay Iman is a mom of five children and three grandchildren. She and her husband farm in Helena, which has always been the dream for her hands and her heart. Gay was raised in the Bay Area near San Francisco and has lived in Montana, her father's home place, for over 40 years. Stories are the threads that weave her together in the fabric of grace and love. She is Nana to her grandchildren, like the dog in Peter Pan. Our next story comes to us from Brian Sharp, who lets us tag along on his mail route as he delivers mail in the neighborhoods of Helena, Montana. Brian's story is called A Day in the Life of a Mailman. I've always been a hard worker, just not a very good employee. <laughs> I have a tendency to have a smart mouth and think that I'm uh, no more than my boss. So it was a surprise to me that when I became a mailman 40 years ago, that it would be a job that I would enjoy as much as I did. One of the aspects of being a mailman is that we are trained 
to be aware of our surroundings. And much of that is just personal safety, make sure you know what's going on around you. However, in some cases, that training translates into something a little bit bigger than just protection for ourselves. And I was driving into a cul-de-sac one day delivering mail, and I drove to the first house, delivered the mail, and in front of me I saw an elderly gentleman leaning against a chain-link fence on the outside of the fence. He wasn't in the yard. And being observant, I didn't know who he was, hadn't seen him there before, but he looked like he didn't fit the place where we were. I drove over to him, stopped, and I asked, Sir, are you all right? And he quickly stood up, and he said, I, uh, I, uh, I could tell he was embarrassed by his answer. He was hard. It was hard for him to get the words. He said, I don't remember where I live. And I said, whoa, well, do you know your name? He said, yes, my name is Bill Harrison. I said, oh, well, Mr. Harrison, you just live four blocks from here, not a problem. <laughs> I thought it wasn't a problem. However, after I said that, I, I had a hundred thoughts running through my mind, and they started with, I don't have a cell phone, I can't call his wife, can't call my boss, can't call 911. The neighbors in the cul-de-sac, they're gone, they're gone at work, and I can't leave my truck parked here to walk him home. But I knew I couldn't leave him there, and I didn't know why. So I thought, well, I'll put him in the truck and give him a ride. But that's going to look bad throwing an old guy in the back of a mail truck. So I thought, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So I said, Mr. Harrison, hop in my truck. I'll give you a ride home. Now, I'm pretty sure what he heard me say was, hop in my truck and drive yourself home. <laughs> he hopped in the driver's seat and grabbed the steering wheel, and it was waiting for me to get in. I thought, no, I'm going to drive. I, I said, you need to slide over a little bit, and if you've ever seen a mail truck, to the left of the mailman, there's a tray that sits, and that's where the work is being done from that tray, and I said, you need to slide over, and you see all those letters and stuff? I need you to sit on those. Just, just sit right there and don't move. We only had four blocks to go to his house. I figured we could probably make that trip safely, but my concern between where we were and his house was a white Ford Focus with government plates. That's my supervisor. And, and I can tell you that there's never a time or a situation that you can explain away an elderly person in the dash of your car. It's just, it, it's not going to work. What well, we made the trip on eventually, no Ford Focus, get to the house. We both hopped out. And my, my last moment of worry was, what if Mrs. Harrison isn't home? But I knocked on the door real quick. She was home. I quickly explained to her what had happened. In the meantime, Mr. Harrison just walked in the house. She said, thank you very much. And I said, thank you. I'll see you later. I went back to my appointed rounds and finished up my route. The next day on the route, I saw Mrs. Harrison, which I did most mornings. And uh, this time she waved me over. She was a morning walker. She said, Brian, come over here. I want to I I talk to you for a second. So I walked over to her. and She said, you know, I just want to thank you for bringing my husband home the other day. He has onset Alzheimer's. And what had happened is he had went from their house to the garage, entered one door, but when he exited the garage, he, he exited through a different door, and that door led him into the alley. And when he got in the alley, he couldn't remember where he lived. And he'd been out there for three and a half hours. Fortunately, the weather was good. But while she was telling me this story, I thought, that, that's horrible for you and horrible for him. But right away, she says, thanks again for bringing him home. And I said, you're welcome. And she went her way, and I went back to my route. 
And I thought that was, it was great that I could be there at that moment. A couple hours later, I'm walking down one of the streets and I hear a screeching, sort of a screeching, grinding sound to my left. And one of the things I've learned carrying mail is that you can tell by the urgency of the conversation coming by the sound of the car stopping. And this car stopped hard and fast, skid and grinding sand. I heard the car, I heard it stop, I heard it shut off, I heard the door open, I turned around, I saw it had Missoula plates on the car, and there was a young woman hopping out of it and she was frantic, it's 10 minutes to one when she, when she came up to me. She's frantic, she's got a piece of paper in her hand and she says, I have 10 minutes to get to my nurse's exam, I can't find the arcade building, I don't understand these directions, can you help me? And I thought, of course I can, I'm the mailman. I, I looked at her note, and I thought, these are all wrong. And I gave her a completely new set of clear, precise instructions to the wrong address. <laughs> I still feel bad about that. That was a long time ago. You see, when she said arcade, I thought of clowns and cotton candy and games, and, and I heard da 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 and I thought a horse is going in a circle, so I sent her to the carousel. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I realized my mistake as she was driving away, and I can tell you there's one thing that young woman was not doing. She was not looking in the rearview mirror. <laughs> because I was standing there waving my hands and hollering, and she's thinking, I had 10 minutes, I got five now, I gotta go. And she just took off. And I stood there and I watched her drive away and I thought, oh, she's gonna be very angry. <laughs> and when I'm in Missoula, I better make sure I never end up in the hospital <laughs> because she's gonna be looking for that mailman. <laughs> a couple more hours go by on my route and I have uh, just a couple more deliveries left to make and one of those is a business, it's an elementary school. And for those of you who can't appreciate what it feels like to be bum-rushed by five five-year-olds, on the street, they come running at you all at once, they're all talking, hands are outstretched, everybody wants something. You have to be nice to them, and they're easily disappointed. <laughs> if it were five dogs coming at me, I'd just spray them a dog spray, throw five biscuits and keep walking. Kids are not that simple. So I avoided this last delivery, which was in elementary school, or at least I tried to time it so when I would arrive there, Class was in session. The kids are not out on the playground. Well, because of the nurse, I'm a little off schedule. So I arrive and it's recess. And I pull up and I'm like, oh man. Maybe I could just tell them they don't have any mail today. Just, I won't have to go in. But I thought that's not gonna work. I grab the mail, I walk through the gates of the, of the school. I see kids playing off to my right and there's three little girls by the door here. And I, I don't know their names, but I'll just call them red, green, and blue for the jackets they were wearing. <laughs> and red, green, and blue were playing jacks. And they said, hi, mailman, hi, mailman, hi, mailman. I said, hi, girls, how are you? Fine, mailman. And I walked in and I delivered the mail. Quick talk with the secretary, turned around and walked out, and I can see my truck for him. And I'm, I'm, I'm about there. I'm halfway home, my, my truck, my safety. <laughs> I walk back out of the door, now the little girls, now they're on my right. And as I left, I hear red and green say, bye mailman, bye mailman, but blue hesitates. 
And then I hear her say this. And I said, Now, if you don't know what that is, I don't know what it is either. But but it has a name. And my sister called it double Dutch, which it is neither double nor Dutch. I don't know why it's called that. And it's the language of a child. It's kind of like a high version. It's, it's kind of like men's of, you know, pig Latin for menses, you know, double Dutch. But I saw the jaws drop of red and green like, oh, my God. <laughs> but Blue's eyes, th- that was the money there because she was silver dollar. She looked at me. She thought, oh, my God, he, the mailman understands the language. <laughs> that made my day. And when I walked away from the school, I had one split second where I, I just want, I wanted to say, I didn't, I wanted to say, I am smarter than the third grader. I, <laughs> I didn't think that would go over very well. But really, what, the one thing that was going through my mind was, to be a good employee, all I had to do was be kind, listen better, and then learn to laugh a little bit. Thanks, Brian. Brian Sharp started carrying mail before barcodes were used. In 40 years, he has experienced the changes in technology affecting all mail carriers. One thing has not changed, however, in 40 years, and that is people. People make the job of being a mailman fun and full of surprises. Thanks for listening to the Tell Us Something podcast. If you enjoy the stories you hear, please recommend the Tell Us Something podcast to one person who has never heard it before. You can subscribe to Tell Us Something wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. We have two more stories in this episode. Before I get to them, I want to take a moment to thank our title sponsors. CabinetParts.com, the number one source for cabinet hardware since 1997. Anyone searching for the best kitchen cabinet hardware at a great price needs to go to CabinetParts.com. CabinetParts.com combines knowledgeable hardware specialists with the best online shopping experience nationwide. CabinetParts.com is the direct source for all of your cabinet hardware needs. The Good Food Store. Supporting western Montana farmers and ranchers for almost 50 years, the Good Food Store supports the local folks creating their own beer, salsa, baked goods, ice cream, and more. Learn more at GoodFoodStore.com. Logjam Presents. Headquartered in Missoula, Montana, Logjam Presents is an independent and privately owned live entertainment company. Logjam Presents is the exclusive operator and promoter of the Kettle House Amphitheater, the Wilma, the Top Hat Lounge, and Ogren Park. And coming in the fall of 2019, the Elm in Bozeman, Montana. Logjam Presents has created a unique artist and concertgoer experience that is unmatched in the Northwest. Learn more at logjampresents.com. A few news items before we get back to the stories. We are excited to announce our new storytelling workshops. Let Tell Us Something help you craft your own story one-on-one. We also offer group workshops with corporate and nonprofit pricing. To schedule a workshop and learn more, go to tellussomething.org slash workshops. We are currently taking story pitches for the fall quarter of Tell Us Something live event in Missoula. The theme is Leap of Faith. To pitch your Leap of Faith story, call 406-203-4683. 
Our next live storytelling event is in Missoula at the Wilma on September 24th. Get tickets for that at logjampresents.com. The theme, Leap of Faith. All right, let's get back to the storytelling. In our next story, Jenny Buckman Phelps invests the money she earned waiting tables into a new-to-her Jeep. Knowing that Jeeps are notorious for tipping over, she selects a humorous vanity plate for her rig with unintended and unexpected results. Jenny calls her story, Getting Tipsy. Have you ever been in a relationship where your friends love them, your parents love them, they treat you well, but when people ask you about it, you're just kind of like, oh yeah, they're great, they're so nice. (laughs) It's 2004, I have just graduated from high school, and I've been in a relationship like that for three and a half years with a Dodge Neon. And that three and a half years of safety, reliability, affordability is gone the second that I see the Jeep Wrangler. (laughs) I've been working at this point for two years at the Golden Corral, or as my dad liked to refer to it, the Gilded Trough. (laughs) And I've been stashing sweaty, greasy ones and fives in piles of hundreds under my bed, and this is the day that those are gonna come out. And my parents had probably hoped that I would spend that money on something a little bit more responsible, like my education. But as soon as I saw that car, I just had to have it. And it's days that I'm now sitting in front of the salesman, and he finds out that I've just graduated from high school, and I'm sure some of you can relate to this. As soon as people find out that you are moving on to a next stage of your life, they have this need to give you advice. And all I want are the keys. (laughs) But instead, he tells me about a way to get out of traffic tickets. And I was like, that's... It sounds really improbable that you could get away with this, but it's interesting nonetheless. So I get the keys, I'm in the car, and I'm sure some of you have felt this. When you fall in love with a car, it's not the car. It's who you think you're going to be in the car. (laughs) And I am awesome. My hair just casually blows in the wind. I look down on people that can't go on places. Potholes mean nothing to me. And it feels amazing. And all these people are waving to me. And it re- I realized that it's other Jeep Wranglers. And I was just like, oh, me? Well, yes. And I casually wave back. And I'm part of this club, and I'm starting to notice all these other drivers and cars, the Wranglers, nothing else. And they're a group of very clever, funny people. And there's a lot of stickers that have a general theme of, you know you've always wanted a topless model, or sometimes I go topless. And then I really like the ones that were put on the vehicle upside down, and it says, if you can read this, please flip me back over. And I'm starting to plan out my license plates, because this is the first time in my life I've ever wanted vanity plates. And so I'm like, you know, these guys are really clever and funny. I need to come up with something that like plays on the Jeep. And I come up, in all of my 18-year-old wisdom, with Tipsy, T-I-P-S-E-E. 
because it tips over easy, which seems obvious to me. Um, and I go in and I'm getting my license plates and the lady is like, are you sure this is what you want to do? And I'm like, yeah, I drive a Jeep Wrangler. And she's like, okay. So I leave the office with a bullseye. <laughs> and I put it proudly on my car. It is maybe a week, and I'm pulled over on the side of the road. The lights are flashing behind me. And I'm just kind of sweating. And because I'm in love with this car, I haven't noticed its faults to the full extent. And one of them is that the driver's side that I should be able to zip the window, unzip the window, it doesn't work. It's zip tied shut. <laughs> and as I'm collecting my driver's license and my insurance and my registration, I'm kind of realizing like, oh no, like I need to be able to talk to the guy. <laughs> And so in a move that felt comfortable to me as a young white woman, I just start to get out of the car. And immediately it's, ma'am, get back in the car, get back in the car, get back in the car. And so I like shut the door and I'm just like, oh my God, okay. So I'm waiting and he comes over and he starts pounding on the plastic. And he's like, oh, you know, get the window down. And I'm like, I, I can't, I can't do it. And so he opens the door. And he's like, do you know why I pulled you over? I'm like, no, sir, no. He's like, well, you were going 35 miles an hour. And I'm waiting for the rest of it. <laughs> and he's like, in a 45. And I'm waiting for the rest of it. We have reason to believe that you are under the influence. <laughs> now, it is 10 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. I am driving to work and all these people are passing by and did I mention that my Jeep is teal? It's noticeable. And so I'm just embarrassed like all these people are driving by this is my parents are going to find out and I'm having to stand on the side of the road in the hot sun and do this <laughs> and try and walk in a straight line as I'm like terrified and eventually I get to go back into the car because I am not drunk, and I get a ticket for obstructing the flow of traffic. And I am upset, but I start to think about the advice that the salesman gave me. And the salesman told me that if I get a traffic ticket, I go into the courthouse, and instead of paying it, I say, I can test. And then the police officer has to show up at a later date with me, and he has to testify to the events, and sometimes police officers will have better things to do in their day, and they won't show up to those, and if they don't show up, you get to leave. So I try this, and it works. <laughs> and I can't believe my luck, and I leave. And it's not long after that that I am again on the side of the road. <laughs> and again, I'm being questioned about whether or not I've been drinking. It is dark this time. I had not used my blinker to go around a vehicle. And so I'm sitting there waiting, and I can see the officer kind of like shaking his head a little bit. And I get a ticket for failure to use my blinker. I do the same method and it works, <laughs> and I don't have a ticket. <laughs> and I'm complaining to my dad at this point, like, 
God, I have to drive so safe. <laughs> and he's just like, yes. <laughs> I have brought this on myself, and it couldn't have worked out better for my parents. <laughs> Ticket number three has me asking, are you pulling me over because of my license plates? And the officer's like, well, it doesn't help. <laughs> but I take my well-worn path to the courthouse, and again, no points, no fine, I get to leave. At this point in time, the Jeep and I decide to take our traffic violation spree on the road. <laughs> and tickets four, ticket four and five are in Butte, Silverbow County. And then six is in Beaverhead County. And at this point, it's like kind of fun a little bit, because I'm like, it doesn't matter. Pull me over. And I'm like, so you like that license plate? It's pretty funny, isn't it? And they're just like, whatever. And so ticket seven is rounded out back in Lewis and Clark County. And eventually, I do have to part ways with the Jeep, because if an 18-year-old girl in a teal Jeep Wrangler with Tipsy on the license plates isn't a target enough, what would happen if I could put a car seat in the back of it? <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. Jenny Buckman Phelps was born and raised in East Helena, Montana. As a young woman, she headed west like the gold prospectors before her and settled in Helena. Jenny has been doing hair and listening to stories for 11 years. She lives with her husband, Colin, daughters Grayson and Grier, and her dog, Lane. In this episode's final story, Chuck Parrott takes care of a quick chore before church one Sunday and is misdiagnosed with a terrible skin condition as a result. Chuck's story is called Sunday Morning Chore. My story begins on a Sunday morning. Um, I can't quite remember what year it was, eight, nine, ten years ago maybe. And I don't remember the time of year, but I definitely remember it was Sunday. I can remember that because it was church day. And my wife and I were dressed, getting ready to go to church. I had my Sunday go-to-meeting clothes on, and I was all ready to go. And I told Bonnie, you know, we got a few minutes. There's a little chore that I want to get done out in our backyard patio. So I'm going to go take care of that. And I told her it's just a little five-minute chore, no big deal. And, you know, I'm an old man. I've had lots of five-minute chores that always turn out to be at least five hours and sometimes five days. <laughs> but I was still pretty confident I could get this done. So I go out in the patio, and I'm really conscious of wearing my good Sunday clothes. So I'm really careful. And... Voila, in five minutes, chore was all done. I'm looking at my clothes, and they look fine. My hands, pretty fine. I go in and wash them. And so we're off to church. No big deal. And we went to a neighborhood church, and it wasn't very far away. And I don't remember the year. I also don't remember the time of year or the season, but we did, live in, we did live in Rancho Cordova, California at the time, and that's a little bedroom community about 10 miles east of Sacramento. And I'm thinking that it had to be early spring, like February, 
I know that's a foreign concept <laughs> around here in the Arctic North, but they really did have spring in California. And so we went off to church. I don't remember anything about the church service either, except at the very end of the service, I feel this tap on my shoulder. <clears throat> and I turn around, and there's a, a guy, a complete stranger, somebody I'd never met before, and he was kind of sheepish and embarrassed, and he said, you know, he's, I, uh, <clears throat> I, I don't mean to alarm you or anything, but I've been sitting here behind you at this church service, and I see something on your scalp in the back of your head that, you know, I think you really should go to a doctor and get it looked at. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he said, I don't mean to alarm you, but, you know, the alarm bells are going off. <laughs> it's like... A complete stranger is telling me this, and uh, that must mean there's something really bad. So Bonnie and I leave the church, and as soon as we get outside, then she looks at my head, and something you need to know about Bonnie is that she used to be a nurse for a dermatologist in Helena before we moved to California. And so I'm thinking she's going to say, oh, yeah, I see what he's talking about, but it's no big deal, nothing to be excited about. Instead, what I hear is, I can't believe I've never seen this before on you. <laughs> and so now, you know, it's a four-alarm bell that's ringing in my head. I'm thinking, oh, my God, this can only mean that big C word. You know, I've, I've got something really bad on the back of my head. So I'm in kind of a state of shock and, you know, thinking about my own mortality. And uh, <clears throat> we, we make it home. And I think what Bonnie said is, you know, why don't you go look through the phone book? We actually had a phone book back then. And see if you can find an urgent care center or a doctor or, you know, somebody that we could get you in to look at this thing today. Something else you need to know about Bonnie is that she's a really strong Christian, a really firm believer. And she's a big believer in the power of prayer. And she said, in the meantime, you know, I'm going to call all of our Christian neighbors, and I'm going to get them praying for you. Well, <clears throat> I've never been as big a believer as Bonnie, but I'm thinking at this point, yeah, get as many as you can. You know, <laughs> I'll take all the help I can give at this point. <clears throat> and so, you know, she comes back into the room I was sitting in after she called people. And I was supposed to be looking up a, you know, a phone number for an urgent care center and I was just kind of sitting there numb. I didn't do a thing. And she said, uh, I repeated what she'd said earlier. She said, I, I can't believe I've never noticed this thing on the back of your head before. I've sat behind you many times, the kitchen table, when you're working at the computer. I can't believe I never saw this before. Then she said, you know, why don't you go in and take a shower? If we get you in to see a doctor, you know, he's going to want to see a clean scalp so he can really figure out what's going on. So I did. I come back out, and of course, after the shower, she's wanting to look at the back of the scalp again, so she does. And what I hear is kind of a soft, it's gone. And so, oh my God, it's like the two best words I've ever heard in my whole life. It's gone. And so this big feeling of relief comes over me and almost a euphoria. And just because of the circumstances, you know, I, I'm reminded at that minute about an old Eddie Murphy movie called Trading Places. And if you've never seen the movie or you can't remember it, 
in the movie, Eddie Murphy's a really big con artist. You know, he's scamming people all the time. And there's a scene early in the movie that I always thought was the funniest scene in the whole picture where Eddie Murphy has got sunglasses on, he's sitting in a wheelchair, and I'm thinking he was at an airport, but he was scamming people, you know, he's wanting them to feel sorry for this poor blind black guy who's crippled. And a couple of cops notice him, and so they know Eddie. They kind of amble over to him, one on each side, and lift him up out of the wheelchair. So Eddie knows the jig's up, but, you know, he's playing the scam for all he can. So as soon as they lift him up out of the chair, he looks up to heaven, and he holds his hands up, and he says, I can stand, I can walk. Thank you, Jesus, I've been healed. <laughs> and, you know, I... I guess in my euphoria, I'm kind of thinking the same thing like Eddie. And so I do it to Bonnie. I, I lift my hands up and say, I've been healed. Thank you. And of course, Bonnie, you know, she kind of rolls her eyes thinking, oh, my God, this guy's being blasphemous now at this point. And I don't know whether she poked me in the arm or elbowed me in the side. It wasn't very strong. She's from Butte. She could really beat the heck out of me if she wanted <laughs> But I think she was as relieved as I was, and so it was just a gentle little poke. So, you know, at this point, I'm wondering, well, you know, what was this? And so I need to go back to the um, little chore that I was doing out in our backyard patio. And what that little chore was, I had a piece of wood. I think it was like a one by four, 12 inches long or something like that. And I needed to spray paint it. And I had this can of jet black spray paint. And it was a spring morning, and it was kind of windy there in uh, Rancho Cordova. But how that paint ended up in the back of my head, I'm not sure. It was <laughs> some kind of a little whirlwind or eddy, I guess. Or maybe when I shook the can like this, you know, that got blobs of black on my scalp. But that was the uh, that was the cancer bullet that I dodged, uh, and you know, in the words of uh, Paul Harvey, the old newscaster on the radio, now you know the rest of the story. This is Chuck Parrott. Good day. Thanks, Chuck. Chuck Parrott is a retired water scientist who still likes to play around Montana streams because that's where the fish live. He and his wife, Bonnie, are native Montanans who were both born and raised in Butte, America. They have lived most of their lives in Helena, except for a brief stint in Bozeman and a 10-year sojourn in California. They have a son and family in Helena and a daughter and family in California. Remember that our next live storytelling event is in Missoula at the Wilma on September 24th. Get tickets for that at logjampresents.com. The theme, Leap of Faith. Tell Us Something is proud to be fiscally sponsored by Missoula Community Foundation, a 501c3 organization. Missoula Community Foundation has been providing leadership to Missoula nonprofits and inspiring long-term philanthropy in Missoula since 2007. MissoulaCommunityFoundation.org. Thanks to our sponsors. Drumlumen Institute, who works to promote and publish art and literature created in Montana and the broader American West, though their mission goes well beyond that. To learn more about the Drumlumen Institute, visit drumlumeninstitute.org. Missoula Federal Credit Union, 
Don't just bank, belong. MissoulaFCU.org. Missoula Bone and Joint, providing superior clinical orthopedic care to our patients for over 60 years. MissoulaBoneandJoint.com. Axis Physical Therapy, who has an enthusiastic team dedicated to providing compassionate and comprehensive care to their clients. Learn more at AxisMissoula.com. Missoula Broadcasting Company, locally owned and operating four stations, including the Trail 103.3, Missoula's Quality Rock, and part of our unique Western Montana community. Featuring local DJs who love Missoula and know their music. Jack FM 105.9, playing what they want. U 104.5 FM, your at-work listening station, and ESPN 102.9, focusing on city, state, and regional sports, giving exposure and insight to teams and athletes in and around Western Montana. Learn more at MissoulaBroadcasting.com. Enlightened Lab Float Center. Enlightened Lab is a spa featuring sensory deprivation or floating as a wellness therapy. Unplug, reset, and recharge in their state-of-the-art float tanks or Sweat it out in their infrared sauna. Learn more at EnlightenLab.com. That's E-N-L-Y-T-E-N-L-A-B.com. Gecko Designs. Visit the Gecko Designs team on North Higgins in Missoula or online at GeckoDesigns.com. Buildy Design. Montana stickers, mugs, and apparel with a twist. Etsy.com slash shop slash Design. Thanks to Cash for Drunkers who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at CashForDrunkersMusic.com podcast production by me, Mark Moss. Thank you to everyone who attends the live events, those of you who download the podcasts, and most especially to the storytellers, Gay Iman, Brian Sharp, Jenny Buckman Phelps, and Chuck Parrott. Thanks for listening. Remember, your story matters. Learn more about Tell Us Something at tellusomething.org. 